Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is July the 10th. We are coming to you. This is a bit of a change. I'm here with Tammy. <laughs> we have been asked to it announce flipped. who we are at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast, which I think is a great idea by our producer, May Shots, um, because there are people every week who come in and listen to the podcast cold, and they don't they don't really necessarily know who we are. But it is a little bit weird, you know. So <laughs> I am Jay Kang. And my co-host is Tammy Kim. Hello. Tammy, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm really digging this role reversal we have, which you'll explain in a second. Yeah, usually what happens is that Tammy is always reporting and is out in some hotel and I'm stuck in my basement. Um, And uh, this is the first time I think where I'm doing the podcast from outside of my home and you're actually... In your home, like I'm in Hawaii for the next month. Um, yeah, it's a little bit. So my cool. sister lives here, so I came to visit her and my brother-in-law and their kid, who is, I guess, my officially my nephew, right? Isn't that how yeah? This <laughs> my nephew, um, and it's nice. I'm in Honolulu, and uh, I don't know. It's everything they say it is. It's great. <laughs> uh, Tammy, how are you doing? That sounds so sad. You get to be in Honolulu and I'm like sweating in this apartment in Brooklyn. In the cultural center <laughs> of the world. <laughs> yeah. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Brooklyn. Um, I, I've been rewatching Mad Men for, I don't know why. Oh, really? I yeah, love but that I've been rewatching it. I like Mad Men. I like it better. I didn't like it the first time around, but I think my reasons for not liking it were stupid. You know, it's like, what were they? It's basically just like, what's the big deal about the show? It's just a show about furniture. You know, it's like uh, people just want to work in <laughs> mid-century modern. They want to work in mid-century modern offices with people and they want to smoke and drink and sexually abuse people. And they want to envision a world in which like it was nice and you could do all these things and people could be free and American before all the immigrants showed up. You know, now, do I think that that take is wrong yeah, per se? Like, no, I don't think it's wrong necessarily in terms of why people, but like, that's not, it has nothing to do with the people who made the show, you know, like, um, like do some people watch the show and think that probably, you know, people think all sorts of things. And now I'm rewatching and I think I'm like appreciating <laughs> that it's a very <laughs> That is the show. weirdest take. I get it though. There is probably a little bit of that. Although I do think like the development well, the of furniture the part characters. Is very real. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like wanting to live in that aesthetic setting. Yeah. But I think what they yeah, do so- with the women characters gets really interesting. Right, right, right. I mean, Peggy is a hero of the sh- is the hero of the yeah. show, you yeah. know, and uh, she's the only one who, in the end, is like defensible in any sort of way, and uh, who you're supposed to cheer for, right? Like you're not supposed to really cheer for Don if you do, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're kind of a monster, Joan. Right, Joan also, I would say, kind of comes into yeah, her but life. she's like racist and kind of shitty too, you know. Right, but um, that's why she's interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I think it's a pretty well done show. I think the dialogue in it is really good. I don't know. Why did I mention that? Oh, anyway, because you're rewatching. It's oh, all in New York are. City. Yeah. And it, you know, and it made me realize that I have no interest in moving back to New York City. <laughs> well, that's a very selective vision. But yeah, that's I don't know, But that's like the best possible vision, you know, is, is through Madman. It's oh, like, oh, I could God. have an apartment with like a. A bunch of nice. I don't even really like mid-century modern stuff that much. So, like, I don't know. I find it every time I go to someone's apartment and they have like an Eames lounge, you know, and I know them a little bit. I make fun you of judge them. About it. 
<laughs> I don't judge them. No, there's no judgment. I just make fun of them. And I'm like, oh, you know, what do you sit in this chair and think of yourself as Don Draper? <laughs> It's very it's like, such a it's such a it's dickhead thing cool. to do because they spent like six thousand dollars on this chair. And I'm just well, like, oh, I think yeah. that's funny. You know? Anyway, um, have you been? I'm good. Um, what am I doing? I I saw uh, I've been seeing a bunch of movies and like watching a bunch of like old animation from the 1920s and 30s. I'm on Why? a for that and reading old novels and stuff. I don't know. Just a thing that I've been into recently. Um, and yeah, it's boiling hot. My apartment, it has like a 70% humidity rating, like on my little monitor. You have a humidity monitor? What is that? Yeah, because I have like a thing that reads the humidity of my space because of my violin. It's so random. Anyway, boring. (laughs) (laughs) But I need to have it be less humid than that. It is so like suffocatingly humid. Is your violin warping right now? Is My violin like could very well be warping. Yeah, I like try to take it out and like massage it. it I didn't even know you played the violin. Touch. I play the violin. Yeah. Have um, you obscured your violining because of you know your racial shame or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Like... I'm trying to de-model minority myself. But it's... <laughs> you're de-aging <laughs> now. Yourself. You're out. You're outing me. <laughs> anyway, um, if you would like to contribute to our show, um, and if you'd like to support what you've heard for the last few minutes. Uh, you can support us at goodbye.substack.com or at patreon.com slash ttsgpod. There, you, for both of them, you can spend about five bucks a month and you can get access to our Discord server, uh, occasional bonus episodes, but mostly you'd be doing it to support our show so that Tammy and I can keep doing this. Okay. Um, we have two topics today. The first one I think is actually quite interesting. Um, it's something I didn't know about. Tammy, this is something you wanted to talk about. And um, I'll just introduce it here, which is that like there is a plan right now that was approved by like the great governing bodies of the world, including the UN, that the water from the Fukushima plant, which is about a million metric uh, about a million tons of water, will be released by Japan now as treated, right? It'll be treated. A lot of the mm-hmm. they say that it filters out most of the radioactivity. And this is not like they're dumping it all into the ocean at once right it's uh it's over like two to four decades yeah it's about 30 to 40 years right and this has caused a bit of an international stir um china seems to be the most mad about it right um they say that this will hurt marine life it'll sort of it'll get in the way of a lot of their fishing and it'll harm people through the type of you know it'll harm human life through that right um korea has officially endorsed this, right? Korea also being the other country that stands to be the most affected by this. They've also endorsed the plan officially, but some weird stuff has started to happen. For example, like the price of salt has gone up. Did you read that article about that? Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the price of salt is going up in Korea for some reason, right? Um, there's a and it's they've. T- I don't. Did you did you believe that article? By the way, did you think it was because well, of I this? Think- Yeah, well, there's a rush on things, which is this sort of like classic Korean thing. If there is sniff of trouble around some sort of market good, then everybody goes out and the homogeneity of the populace kicks in and suddenly there's like a run on salt or lettuce or whatever the thing is. So yeah, salt, sea salt, (laughs) and salt is all from the sea drying out. Yeah, anyway. So um, yeah, so there seemed to have been a rush on salt recently. (laughs) 
Okay, and that's because obviously people are worried that the salt is going to be radioactive in the future. Yeah, so and the South Korean like, government like released salt, like the amount of salt that could be rationed or whatever to try right, to regulate right. the price. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. Uh, I found all this very interesting. Why don't you tell yeah. tell us like what, what? Why did you want to talk about this? Yeah. So the listeners to the show probably know that obviously there was the Fukushima disaster now 12 years ago and Japan had to you know deal with that by cooling all of cooling the plant and then storing that water and so the problem of like what to do with this water is a has been like on the minds of East Asians for a really long time and I think the way that this is playing out geopolitically is really interesting it's both sort of like classic like trilateral stuff in terms of how Japan, China, and Korea are oriented. And I think it's like good evidence of kind of shifting dynamics in in terms of like the Japan-South Korea relationship. So because the Korean government right now is very conservative and wants to be very cozy with Japan, they're sort of like, they will kind of like rubber stamp like whatever Japan wants to do. Mm. Um, Reuters reported actually that um, even though the UN nuclear watch body approved the release of this water, there was apparently a lot of dissent in the decision making. And so we're going to see if like more reporting comes out on that. But the guy who leads that part of the UN is now going around to all the East Asian countries to try to mollify people, including South Korea. Um, okay. And then I think from the United States's perspective, like you'll see all these DC wonks now being like, they're used like China's now going to use this to like drive a wedge between Tokyo and Seoul, but the wedge is already there and it really has nothing to do with like, you know, China's grand ambitions for the region. So um, this is yet, I think another situation in which like the U S and like the people who are kind of analyzing and really concerned about U S China competition are reading everything through that lens Mm -hmm. without really even caring about, domestic and regional dimensions at work because you don't really need to you know drive that wedge when there's already a wedge that exists and the south korean population or at least a large part of it is very angry at its own government and skeptical of its government's policies well what what what, what's like the alarmist take on this right i think that from reading it um my sense of it is as a stupid person who doesn't know anything about radioactive waste right i just think well the ocean is big you know a million tons of water is kind of a lot of water but uh it's not really that much that much water right and then they're kind of filtering it out over 40 years right the ocean is big what's a big deal now that again that i think that's just like how a lot of people would respond to that but like what's the alarmist take on this so the one i'm obviously not a scientist but the remaining radio um uh, radioactive thing that is left after this treatment is this element called tritium, which people are very concerned about that infecting um, seafood. And just like we know from when pregnant women get warned to not eat, you know, large fish, like that concentration right. of things in seafood, all of that, like that part of the world obviously relies a lot on the seafood fishing economy. So that's part of it. It's, I mean, the, the whole thing after Fukushima that's kind of fascinating in terms of the fishing economy is, China, South Korea, other countries have sort of essentially like banned seafood from that part of Japan. But like, how do you even really know where seafood is from? It's like very tricky because, you know, water and fish swim (laughs) to other places. Um, And so I think the release of this water is is stoking those anxieties that have already existed because 
you know, there will still be fish that are in that area. There will still be marine life. You know, people are swimming in the waters that obviously splash off of Japan onto Korea. I mean, I don't know. Again, not a scientist. Right. I mean, the water from Japan goes everywhere. I mean, the water outside, that's the, I mean, it hits the Pacific Ocean, obviously. Like, that's how you track surfing. Like, when people are tracking huge swells, they, it's always storms off Japan. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the water goes everywhere, but, you know, it's, it is a question of like how much of this gets diluted or whatever like that. But right. um, I do think like the question for, so the biggest concern is about seafood, right? And people eating seafood and how that will affect it. It's not like, I don't know, it's not like fucking Godzilla or something like that, or it's not that, uh, <laughs> and it's how people will ingest that. It, once they ingest that, how that will happen. Also, apparently with salt, right? Like there's some question right, about Right, exactly. All well, seafood right? products, like but yeah, it's funny you talk about the way that the sea plays off of Japan because Japan topographically is really key to that region. And like when I was on my like baby surfing adventure in Korea, like every day the surf charts were basically based on like what's happening on Japan, in Japan, right. which storms are going to like crawl off that. So, yeah. And I think um, another dimension to this story is obviously just like nuclear and nuclear power anxiety generally, because places like Japan and Korea rely a ton on nuclear energy to stay afloat. And I think the Fukushima thing obviously raises anxieties around nuclear power plants, but also like what to do with nuclear waste. And like this water waste is part of that question. Right. Well, what's your sense of that? Right. Like, are you like a anti-nuke nuclear power person? Like, it's I, just... I, I would say like I'm undecided. Like I've been trying to yeah. like report on this a little bit more to just learn about it. Um, but I think it's very different. The politics around it are like very different in, uh, in different countries about like, is nuclear power even green? Like what kind of resource is it when you line it up against like fossil fuels or, you know, true renewables like solar? What do you right. think? Right. Uh, I find it. I, I'm in the same boat where I just find that the anti, like it's, it is interesting that the anti, when we were growing up, the anti-nuclear lobby and the anti-nuclear activism was incredibly intense, right? Like it was, but I think that for a while it was the most visible activism in America, right? Because they were really? very good at getting attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were very good at getting people's attention. They're extremely dogged now. I don't know if in numbers they were that big, right? But they were like there was a lot a lot, a lot of people decrying this. And it kind of went away. And partially that was because I think the anti-nuclear activism was somewhat effective in shutting down a lot of these places. There aren't that many that are being built, right? And you have a type of, I don't know, there's like type of pro-nuke walk right now that's saying we need to build more. And I find them somewhat convincing in the sense that like, yeah, like there's a risk of disaster, but like in terms of providing a ton of power that does not create, you know, fossil fuel pollution, then like, you know, it's better than burning a coal plant, for example. Right. right? And that, um, but the way in which I find it somewhat interesting in the way, the reason why I was, I've been reading into it for the past week or so. It is interesting to think about if we do have, like right now there, have you seen the flooding in the Hudson Valley and in Vermont? Have you seen videos of that? Mm, no. Like, oh my God, it looks terrible, you know? And so if we are in this place, which I don't, you know, maybe we are, it seems like we really definitely are where like there is escalating natural disasters happening all across the country and across the globe and that you have this flooding and, 
you know, like everything is like the most in a hundred years, or you have, you know, like the Oregon heat wave, for example, that happened year in two consecutive years. We have a heat wave in Texas this year, I think is the highest recorded temperature, global temperature on record. Right. Um, there 2023 has been so far. And in July we had like, yeah, it's unbelievable. or June, we had one of the highest recorded months period that, uh, you know, it's the scale of or the list of things that can go wrong seems to have also increased. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which is like a weird feedback question, which is like if, you know, well, you're doing this thing to ideally cut down on some of those risks. Right. right. Like that's why you're building them. But they're also like vulnerable to a type of risk as well. Um, and Fukushima yeah. being like the most visible of all of these and the biggest of these disasters it is interesting how like the fallout from it, I think it's maybe because we're in the United States or whatever, but like, I feel like it hasn't quite been quantified yet, right? Like we don't quite know exactly how bad yeah. it was and it could and be much worse than we not think it was. Yeah. And it's not the news here, as you say, as it is in the region where people talk about it all the time and it's, and you know, I think the Japanese in like the Japanese news too, people are very divided there about what to do with nuclear energy and, you know, just with, um, yeah, what it means for like the environmental movement there. Like what are the different things that people should be pushing for as all these countries are saying they're going to start reducing their carbon footprints. And like, again, what is nuclear? Like, how does that, how does that fit in right now? There's also this Japanese plan to put the solid nuclear waste from power plants in this island called Tsushima, which is the island that's like very, very close to Korea. So that's, mm. again, these islands, like these nations are very, very close to each other. And so, you know, it causes, it's like every decision is like an international incident. Whereas like in the US, we also don't really have that problem as much because our country is so big and naturally big. Um, and so, you know, I think like, any kind of nuclear thing is like automatically a barometer for like China, Japan, Korea relations. You can throw Taiwan in there too. Um, right. And the U.S. is feeling very nervous about this because, again, of its competition with China right now. It's pretty interesting, but I was mostly interested as to why you were interested in it. But I think that you're right. It's like with a Korean... The impact for Korea is obviously big and it can be used as a wedge for any type of question that they might have anyway, right? Like it can be sort of a bargaining chip in a lot of ways as well. But um, I don't know, a million tons of water over 40 years. In the yeah, ocean the scale of it is so hard to kind of conceptualize, it's you know, hard to and conceptualize. it's just like, I don't even, yeah, and it's see, as you say this, like i think when you say it like that it's like yeah in the pacific ocean it's really big you know um know. but people are genuinely freaked out in korea there have been all these over like huge overnight protests thousands of people right, in downtown. right. i saw some of that so yeah, you know yeah. but then koreans of course are very good at protesting so koreans anyway do this is i think everything. a good yeah it's a good story for us to keep an eye on and i'm sure i'm curious what our listeners in asia are thinking about it so if you do have thoughts you guys should write in um okay so the Second thing I wanted to talk about, or the thing I wanted to talk about today was, uh, man, you know, do you know this guy at all, Vivek Ramaswamy? <laughs> do you know him? Did you know, did he, did you go to, did you go to so school the, with him or anything the, like that? No. Or but, do you know people who went to school with yeah, him? Yeah, I was going to say, I have heard about him. He was a classmate of J.D. Vance's at Yale and groomed right. by the same crazy professors who groom all of those people. Um, you mean Amy Chua? Amy Chua and her husband. <laughs> yeah. 
um, <laughs> Ribbenfeld. And yes. And so I think. I got to say they're very effective. <laughs> they are very effective at doing this incredibly cynical thing where it's like, we're going to groom the like the people who feel like they're disenfranchised <laughs> at Yale Law School, which let's be real. But anyway, and then kind of pull them up into this Peter Thiel but universe. So anyway, I just know him as like, I know him as like the Hindu J.D. Vance. <laughs> because <laughs> they're basically yeah, I mean, the same in every way <laughs> anyway but go well, on i think they might have grown up a little bit differently right like jd vance you know say what you well, will sure. about that book or whatever like that like it's a little bit different than growing up as like h1 these b visa kid in rural cincinnati no, I mean, in suburban cincinnati, in cincinnati which is sort of definitely i just um, mean the Z-Vax like their story their political grooming and their oh current, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah anyway but, yeah. but and their effectiveness yeah. right so i wanted to talk about him because i am absolutely f- dead fascinated about this guy and i was very disappointed that the magazine that we both work for published a very good piece about him um a, i yeah, think about a year and a half because i wanted to write a big piece about him but you know <laughs> i don't know i don't there's not much i could add to that so it's not i'm she not did a great job piece i was just more like man i really would like to write a big piece you want to spend him. time with him <laughs> yeah no because i just okay I think this was six years ago or something, maybe as longer ago. I had this idea, and I wish I had been doing more documentary stuff back then because I think I would have made it a documentary where I wanted to spend a considerable amount of time with uh, Bobby Jindal, right? And I wanted to do it because I wanted to follow okay. the saddest presidential campaign <laughs> of all, you know, ever. Like, I want to know what it feels like to be like always at the bottom and to have to go to like the second you know how they have the kids table debate and then they have like for <laughs> yeah. like all the people who are at the bottom and he's um, like at I the wanted... bottom of the kids table <laughs> yeah yeah but Bobby Jindal in some ways is like this kind of amazing political story right like he's this Indian dude who became the governor of Louisiana <laughs> you know like you're just like how did that it happen is right sort of improbable yeah Right, right. This dude who went to Brown and then he had this like religious conversion and then he somehow reaches this like incredible (laughs) uh, political height. And yet like he's so dead in the water when it comes to the presidential thing. I just wanted to be on the bus and just kind of, you know, like, you know, that article, like uh, the piece, I think it's David Foster Wallace, right? Wrote about the piece on about being on the John McCain bus, right? I want to do yeah. like the shitty, shitty version of that, of like being on the shitty bus. The broken down minivan. Of- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like um, the straight talk express, but you know, like kind of like the, you know, like the no one listens express or whatever, right? Like it would be, um, but for Vivek, I was interested in him because I can sort of identify in him a type of, uh, a type of like separation of what he says and what he actually believes. And I don't believe a thing that comes out of his mouth yeah. he believes in, right? Like he stands up and he's like, there are only two genders and trans, you know, and like, as just like, you don't, be- you don't care about trans people, dude. Like you'll right. never convince me that like, if this was not happening, that you would not just be like a dude who says, they them and uses the pronouns when you're asked and probably like quietly thinks maybe this is a little bit stupid but like it would never occupy a thought in your brain right you would just act like however is the most socially expeditious for you to act and that would be it you know or he talks about how did you hear his take about what we should do about taiwan no it's like we should we should introduce the second amendment to taiwan and give every person in taiwan a handgun <laughs> 
so they can fight off shit. I really can. But then he's also attending like conventions about how to get more Chinese investment, right? So he's right, just right, absolutely right. full of shit. I mean, he talks about the Uyghurs and then he goes to like China. Investment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he has six hundred. Yeah. I mean, he has six hundred million dollars for a reason, you know. And it's interesting that he's like, like, because I think the first parallel to him, or the first corollary that everybody wanted to draw, obviously, was Andrew Yang, right? Um, they're like, oh, uh-huh. here's this kind of tech-related guy who's Asian who uh, is going on every single podcast he can get on and doing every bit of media that he can do to build up a lot of attention and that might translate to like 4%, you know, and that's interesting because if you can get on all those television shows and you can convert 4% of Republican primary voters, it's like a lot of people in the end. Right. And you can use that. You can leverage that to like whatever you want if you're very savvy about it. But I've, what I found most interesting about him is like, what is he doing this for? You know? He's already rich, right? Andrew Yang wasn't rich when he was doing any of this stuff. I don't think Andrew Yang really got rich from being a presidential candidate or mayoral candidate at all, right? Like, I think he probably made more money than he would have, but it's not like $600 million, right? I would be surprised if it was $2 million, right, for him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think about this guy before we plunge into all my like <laughs> uh, weird takes about him? Well, I guess we should say, and I only know this from Sheila's article, which I think digs into his financial life and his, you know, his background in setting up this pharma company and now what he's trying to do with Peter Thiel. But it seems like he at some point was basically bored and has always had these sort of reactionary or just reactive views and thought, well, it would be great if I can sell this and became really famous on Twitter, which is how Fox News found him. But at this point, I mean, it, he definitely is fundraising for his fund. Right. So, right. I mean, I think he is a rich guy who wants more money because he wants to be even richer. But I think he also just loves attention and does see going into Congress or some other role, you know, as fun. And what does he have to lose? And right. he could sell more books like Woke Inc. or whatever the book was that he that he wrote. Right, right. Um, so I don't know. He seems to be of this. Yeah, what I think is like that J.D. Vance, Amy Chua school of thought, which is if you're right. rich, you can get richer. And if you're richer, you can get attention. Right. It's like kind of geared towards a very smart, like say what you will about J.D. Vance or Vivek. I think that you we can admit that they're pretty intelligent people, right? Like um, like in terms of like being able to, I'm talking about like in a debate sense where they can like or, see a field of argumentative options before them. And they understand how to get from point A to point D. And they know how to deflect like everything else that's coming towards them in a way. And in their way, they pick what A through D is going to be based on what they think is going to come their way and how weak the arguments are going to be or how they can lampoon the arguments in an effective way. Right. So mm-hmm. for Vivek, it's like, well, I'm going to do this anti-woke thing. I'm going to pick this argument that like patriotism is real and it's really important. I want to return us to first principles, right? Like the idea of patriotism and a pride of country. I'm going to use my immigrant story to talk about the American dream and how it's been corrupted by wokeness and and cultural Marxism, right? Um, And that uh, that's how he sort of built this kind of like impenetrable 
and very weird set of ideas that he has. Like it's really all weird. I can recognize. I wish I wish Andy was on this one because like Andy would also recognize. This is debate, For debate brain. brain. Yeah, this is debate. <laughs> this is the this is the most debate brained candidate we've ever had. It's and. In, in like American history, yeah. Ted Cruz is the closest we've ever had, oh right? Oh my god! But there's something about see. Ted Cruz that's so personally <laughs> despicable to people that it almost doesn't—it almost doesn't matter. But like, remember when Ted Cruz was actually like running for president, or when he when the Tea Party was getting started, he had ideas like we should just abolish the IRS, and people were like, "Yeah, you know," like that was like extreme <laughs> debate frame. But I don't like Ted Cruz is another person where I don't actually believe that he believes anything, right? And Ted right. Cruz was actually somewhat accomplished college debater at Princeton. Vivek was on the debate team at Harvard, right? Like this is not like, I'm not making this up. Like this is where a lot of these people get their ideas. But um, I don't know. I find it very interesting that that this guy is doing so well. Like in some states, he's just barely tra- trailing DeSantis. He's beating Nikki Haley almost everywhere. <laughs> you know, for example, like it's like a former governor, you know, like uh, who probably has much more, uh, at least like institutional support than he does. <laughs> yeah. and she's a hindu convert to christianity so i don't know what's going on with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah and so he's like he's a very strange like it's strange to me to see him and it makes me think that like i don't know what the end result of all of people like him is going to be because there's going to be one of him in every single presidential election going forward <laughs> because it's hugely beneficial even if you flame out in all the primaries like you're way more famous than you used to be right like this guy is like way more famous than he used to be he was already very rich you know and like if all it ends up being is that he gets a rotating spot or a spot whenever he wants to come on at i'm not even saying like fox news you know like cnn like uh emerson they would all interview him if he wanted if he wanted to go on right like he's a person who is pulling significantly in a lot of these states and then he can kind of drive business questions that he's interested in or that serve his interest or whatever. Or he's um, trying to get like some sort of bureau appointment, like the way that Buttigieg in his hopeless campaign then was able to get the transportation <laughs> secretary job. Right. I mean, he also, yeah. he had the broken down minivan of the democratic uh, <laughs> contenders yeah, last yeah. time. So maybe the oh, no, wants he... to be, I don't know, something like in cabinet or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I thought, although I don't know, I think like, I guess I'm most I'm also interested in a sense where like I think about what the Republicans are gonna do, you know, and I think DeSantis is basically dead, you know, and like this idea of just being like fierce online reactionary shit poster of a candidate, like I just don't think it's working. Like I know that. you've always been skeptical. Why are you, I feel like it's too early to to dismiss him. I think that it's, if he showed any traction at all then he would have had a mom- better moment than we already had. would have seen it. You know, yeah, we would yeah. have seen it already. Like, what else does he have to say? Like, he sucks at talking, right? Like, he's like charmless, you know? At least Vivek does like the kind of like, I took 15 Adderalls and I am like yelling at you, you know? Like, he's very arresting <laughs> in that sort of way. In a way, after like 20 seconds, you're like, all right, that's enough, <laughs> you know? But the first 15 seconds, you're like, wow, this guy is really intense, you know? But, like, DeSantis is just kind of, like, 
I don't know, like what, where's the charm, right? He just comes across as an asshole. Like, and he's kind of a boring asshole. Like, he's his, definitely you... on the road a lot. That's the one thing I'll say about DeSantis is he, he does seem to really be having like a on the ground campaign game. And I don't know if that'll make a difference later on. His wife is also obviously trying to do the Jackie O thing, which might be working yeah. on some people. Yeah, well, she's much more impressive, I would say, than he is. <laughs> I was going to say, I think she's the strength <laughs> of the campaign. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's like one of these things where like a lot of people at this point maybe are thinking, why didn't she just run? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. She's more important. DeSantis could be like the man behind the woman or something like that. But <laughs> oh, I, I just like, did you, you saw that ad, obviously, right? The sort of uh, the horrifically homophobic ad that they are sort of ad that they ran that campaign yeah like that looked like it was off 4chan you know yeah like yeah will that will that trigger the lips absolutely for good reason you know but like you uh, think he's gone even gonna... too far on that spectrum way too far yeah. way too far you know like uh God, you're gonna make so like michael hobbs nice. angry you know or you're gonna make like uh you know like you're gonna piss off like charles blow or you're gonna pit like what who cares? You know, like these are like, right. Your voters not, don't you're, care about you're not level. winning the election by pissing off liberal Twitter accounts. You know, like right. it's, it's just like doesn't make any sense to me. But Vivek, I think, is slightly different than that. You know, like there mm-hmm. is this kind of I'm not I'm not making a case for him. I, can, I think I kind of am here. But like, you know, like because I find most well, of his politics to be like, totally reprehensible advisor hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> but. I do think that there is a way in which he is actually an interesting litmus test for the viability of certain types of ideas. Now, for example, after the election last time, when the Asian and the Latino vote numbers came out in 2016, 2020, there's a lot of people like Adrian Vermeule, for example, who are saying the future of the Republican Party is a multi-ethnic working class party, right? That um, we will uphold the American dream and the idea of class mobility, upward mobility through meritocracy. We will destroy wokeness, which is a Marxist idea that makes it so that, and this idea of equity and critical race theory that makes it so that a place like Harvard is going to allow in all these unqualified people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that that's sort of the pitch, right? Like we are going to have a bottom up idea that America is for everybody and that the things that get us there are capitalism right and a rejection of whatever wokeness right like that that was a pitch that's what his pitch is right and so it's interesting to see it both not really working right like because at some point like a lot of republican voters are just going to be racists right and they're just going to be like maybe and not even to not him in particular making any appeals to multicultural voter i mean he's just trying to get white voters to like him I don't know if that's true. I think Who that else he is he probably... campaigning to? He's going around. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But it, I think that's partially because he's always he's like he has to go to like New Hampshire and Iowa. You know, okay, fair hard. enough. But you know, I don't think he has that in. I mean, I, I think it, he's just trying to like like first of all, he's trying to deal with like the Hindu and Indian part of himself, right? And just kind of right. whitewash that, try to test like the boundaries of that. To me, the, yeah, the well, Hindu he, BJP thing is really interesting, too, because he's basically trying to sell like the way that one way into the like Trumpian acceptance is to basically talk about like Modi and the Hindu right as an analog to the Trumpian right in America. 
So you kind of have to lean into fascism, essentially, like transnational fascism to do that. (laughs) And I wonder how much he's going to be doing that, because that is the population that would support this guy as well. I'm pretty sure he's going to never talk about his identity as little as or he's going to just suppress it as much as he can. Yeah. Yeah. Because instead of talking about like because people will ask about the Hindu thing and then he'll be like, oh, but like we have the same shared values as Christianity. He said he talks about it as faith, right? Like he talks about right. it. He uses the word faith, right? Like we are a nation of faith. Spirituality. Um, yeah. And uh, but I do think he is sort of quietly signaling at that thing, and I think that he is using his identity to quietly signal at that thing, right? Here he is. He's like, I am this dude whose parents are immigrants to America. They came over with two suitcases. I grew up in Cincinnati. Not a lot of people who look like me around. All fair, you know? I would not be, want to be an Indian dude who grew up in Cincinnati. <laughs> you know? Like, it what? sounds like pretty rough, Cincinnati you know? Cincinnati is um, a very diverse and cool place. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> doesn't seem like he grew up in that type of, you know, the diverse I mean, part of Cincinnati. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that no, I there know, are parts I know. of this story. I'm not saying, like, I support him or that he's right about it, right? Like, I'm just saying this is his story. Right? No, I know, um, yeah. And that uh, I made $600 million, which, you know, to many, most people is pretty impressive. I wish I've had $600 million. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how it even begin to make I don't even know what that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to make $2 million. You know? It's like, I have access to all sorts of things, you know, in my life. But I'm like, I can't get, how did this guy get the $600 million? It's so, you know? with like a um, bunch of failures of money. too. Anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that he has this kind of, interesting way of talking. I do think that that's his pitch. And I will say that what I found more interesting is that even though he's doing pretty well, if that pitch was real, like if Adrian Vermeule was right, and that this is the future of the Republican Party in America, which is a multi-ethnic, like uh, big scale, working class, upper mobility, destroy wokeness, CRT in schools is bad because it teaches equity, equity is bad. Like if that was a real thing, he would be doing even better. You know, I think personally, right, because he has been on every single television show. People do know who he is. Right. It is early in the polling cycle. But like, I mean, how many of these shows can he do? You know, like he would probably come on our podcast if we asked him, you know, oh, God, <laughs> like he's like he's done so much media. He's gotten so far. And yet, like, I actually think that he in the end is the proof that that idea has like a quite a hard ceiling. You know, mm. and the reason why it has quite a hard ceiling is because many Republican voters are racist. <laughs> you know, I was going like, to say, I don't think this is going to go very far. Yeah. Like the idea of the multi-ethnic Republican majority is a way to repudiate and to dress up Trumpism. Right. And to make it seem OK. Right. Or not even to, to give an alternative where it's not racist and it's not ethno-nationalist. Right. And uh you know, most Republican voters are Trump supporters. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. Like they don't—they're not interested in an uh, sort of multicultural, multi-ethnic yeah. alternative. They were vibing with the stuff that Trump said about you know they're not sending their best in shithole countries, right? Like that's—that's that's just the reality yeah. of it. Like, I'm not saying all Republicans are racist. I'm just saying, you know, that is obviously appealing that, to a lot of people who support them. Yeah, and it's not, and I think that's why he's not really working out even greater than he could have. Um, Because like the idea, like, I don't think that like Nikki Haley being a governor 
and having been in politics, it only sort of helps her get to some level of name recognition, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's like Jindal. She's kind of that, yeah. Right. But you can blast through that these days by just going on a ton of podcasts and having a bunch of people hear your name, and you can at least get to like 8%, 6% or something like that. And um, Man. I don't know. It's such a bleak. One of the things I think that is the most dangerous and gross about his line is his he tries to make it sound like he's critiquing corporate America by attacking right. corporate America's wokeism, which I think you and I and other people more on our spe- end of the spectrum would agree that that is obviously bad and dumb and none of these corporations actually care about racial justice or the environment or whatnot. Yeah. But he's but then by calling that out in order to critique wokeism, he actually just like he makes a very bad situation even worse, right? Like he supports all of these um, Republican laws that are restricting um, the ability of banks and other institutions to make judgments based on corporations. Like, oh yeah, yeah. He wants to basically stuff. get it's rid of the entire regulatory state, right? Right, exactly. And, and his, he is by far of all the candidates, even more so than DeSantis or Trump. He is by far the most anti-environmental or anti-climate. Oh, absolutely, uh, um, yeah. Like and that 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 part is weird to me because I think that basically he's just pushing for deregulation of all industry because he's a rich guy exactly. who runs a bunch of businesses, you know. Right. But um, like, is there really that big of an audience right now for anti for climate well, denial? Thing, like, like, it's just weird. The, also, like the way that he gets into that is like very complicated because it's like based on like the like financial markets and like like all of these financial instruments and stuff and so I'm like I'm not sure how that's going to appeal to people. I mean, the only part of that argument that anyone here is probably on his campaign trail is that he hates Starbucks because they like do gay stuff. You know, I don't think oh, he's yeah, they're going to yeah, like yeah. analyze all of the levels of his like. But the at the end of the day what he is doing is is what you said, which is he doesn't want corporations to have to deal with anything, any restrictions. Right. Yeah. Right. And that oh, stuff, okay. like, I, yeah. I, I first heard about him because my buddy went to uh, law school with him. And okay. he was like, he was like, this guy knows running for president. And I remembered him. I, I vaguely remembered him from that article that I had, you know, not really read at that time. Apologies, you know, but um, I <laughs> watched a bunch of his videos where he was explaining how he's going to get rid of the Treasury Department. And I was like, who fucking oh cares, gosh. dude? You know, like. As a, and also, the way you're explaining this to me, I have no clue what you're talking about. Like, I don't care about these laws, <laughs> you know, and these, like, oh, like you're going to get rid of the Treasury Department. Cool. Like, oh, no, the oppressive know, Treasury right? Department. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, but he sort of evolved from there. But yeah, it's those things like the idea, like I hate, but like he was like making fun of Bud Light and stuff and be like, bro, you do not exactly. care about this. Like, are you out of your mind? You know, yeah. like there's nothing that, 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 and I will never believe that you care about any of this. I do believe that you care about getting rid of the treasury department, you know, but you can't Maybe run he a, wants a to be. He kind of wants to be like, Jen, he wants to succeed Janet Yellen as secretary of the treasury so he can destroy <laughs> the treasury. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he basically his like his like campaign at its core, I think, is basically like there's like 900 bureaucrats that annoy him, you know, and right. he wants to be president so he can fire Pretty all of them and not replace. Them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and so in that way, it's a deeply unserious campaign. But I guess I just find it interesting because I feel like he's cobbled together all these ideas, you know, and I don't know. I think that like he's kind of 
proven in some ways about how all those ideas are bad, you know? Mm. Um, and that I think it is, he's almost like the amalgam of seven different Republican candidates at once, who is like, does go on television quite a bit and does have the ability to at least talk in front of camera. Um, but like the fact that they can't like figure out what the coherent version of him is, you know, I think should be pretty concerning to them. But I don't know. I'm still so bearish on the Republican Party in general going forward that like maybe I'm just like this is just infecting my brain, right? Like I'm just trying to figure out more reasons why I've I've been right about all of this. <laughs> I mean, to date, it seems like in the kind of Trump re- post Trump recovery process of the Republican Party, anyone they bring in is as a person of color is somebody who basically washes off whatever that would mean normally. Not necessarily so Tim Scott so much, right? I guess so. Yeah. 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 But thinking about some of the younger MAGA people who have been brought into the party, I mean, they, like I was thinking about this Mexican American woman who, um, Luna, who comes out of Florida, all of these people have this sort of like immigrant bona fides and can talk about this as needed, but they very rarely do or they do it in the kind of most whitewashed and denuded way so i don't really think this is a thing that anyone's going for yeah i don't know i it's weird because i find myself sometimes uncomfortable about the way in which some liberals respond to these types of people you know um and you mean i like, could be wrong they're not really brown or whatever that kind of thing yeah like, like everybody making saying like oh calling nikki haley nimrata you know i'm just like that's so lame like come on i mean they <laughs> And it it doesn't get to a point where it makes me like Nikki Haley in any sort of way. You know, it doesn't make me admire Nikki Haley. It just kind of bums me out that people feel, you know, in the name of some sort of vague idea of anti-racism and liberal politics that they feel like they can be xenophobic and just kind of like snide in this way that they know better. And look, I will admit that when white liberals do it, it annoys me more. You know, because I was going to say, fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I make fun of Ben Collins. You know who that is? He's a like MSNBC dude who writes reports all about misinformation. You know, I think that disinfo is like the biggest con that anyone has run in a long time. I think it's stupid, you know. Anyway, so I was making fun of him and he sicked all of his followers on me. I don't care. Right. But some of them, one of them was like, your name is so made up, you know? And I, it's like, oh my gosh, you. that's funny. <laughs> it's like some white lady, you know? And I'm just like, I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, like this is kind of what they resort to, right? Like this sort of, um, this idea that like that's in bounds because they think that the, they perceive that the person that they're talking to is somehow like a reactionary or racist or a right winger or something like that. And everything becomes in bounds. It's just like, no, you still don't talk to people yeah. that way. No, you I know? think that's fair. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, something... Like it's something when these people are like deliberately cleaving off this certain parts of themselves and then you know just being two-faced about that identity i think that obviously is the hypocrisy do you feel like nikki do you feel i don't feel like vivek has done that so much you know and i don't think he did it as like for example you know like obama clearly did that too right like there are parts of him and i think people had words for that too right right but i also (laughs) find it just weird to ask like well what do you want from me you know um i would ask that no like, for sure i made yeah. a i made it like walk around with a jar of kimchi and, well that's the thing you know, it runs you into bow at everybody old right? questions right yeah right right so um i don't know that's not i <laughs> i get it i get it he's not really doing 
I don't feel like yeah. he's in it. Maybe soon. Anyway, the thing that his thing enough. reminded me of is I think like there's a certain line of anti-corporate or ostensibly or sometimes superficially anti-corporate Republican who, when they say the first part of their argument, it's like, oh yeah, the left agrees with that too. <laughs> and then yeah. they, and then they go too far and it ends up in this like really horrible place. But there is a yeah, part of his critique, you know, again, which I think is like probably quite cynical and not actually like believed, but that I'm like, yeah, that's true. You know? Right. Yeah. These three asset management companies shouldn't rule the world. And right, they are right. liars when they say they care about anything social justice-y. Um, right. But then we diverge. <laughs> yeah. But, and then, you know, the sort of red-pilled left will always say, yeah, but no Democrats are saying that. And you're like, well, some of them are, you know? <laughs> you have to give the credit to the some of them are. Now, do the big ones, like, uh, do they say, No, they don't say it. We you wish know, they, they would. Say, yeah. No, yeah, and we I wish think they that, would. And right. Are, do we really think they're closer? Like, who is more sincere? Like, I, exactly. I just thought the, the, the I mean, American Prospect thing. thing where, like, uh, during that debate, I was always like, the one thing that went through my head was just like, it is very strange to accuse, for example, Tucker Carlson of being really insincere about the way and he says these anti-corporate things and then say the people who continually protect corporate interests on the Democratic side who never say a bad word about them and protect them in the legislative process as much as they can are somehow more sincere than Tucker Carlson. I'm just like, no, Tucker Carlson probably more sincere about his anti-corporate beliefs than like, you know. Uh, the Democratic leadership, it's a low for example. Bar, but... <laughs> right? But I'm I'm just saying, like, it's yeah, yeah. like you can't you can't say like he doesn't mean it at all. And actually, the only reason why Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden don't do it is they really want to do it, but they, they just can't. can't. Right? Yeah, right. I'm just like, no, yeah. they don't want to do it, you know, and yeah. they won't even say it. Right? Like that has to be put out. Anyway, I think yeah. it's the first time listeners listening to this podcast would assume that I am. That I am a Vivek supporting Republican. <laughs> I see that sticker behind you, Jay. What's the sticker? <laughs> Vivek for oh, president. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm not in my own house right now, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm renting an Airbnb from the oh one Vivek God. Ramaswamy right, supporter exactly. in the state of Hawaii. Yeah, the state director for Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one dude. He's like he has to occupy every single position, but he believes there's going to be some momentum going forward. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, Hawaii is like an amazingly democratic state, I think, right? Like yeah. I don't think, I think it's probably the highest percentage, I think, or one of the highest percentages. I think it has the highest union density out of all 50 states as well. Oh, really? It's a is that because place. of hos- it's hospital, uh, it's because hospitality industry, um, service worker unions? I think that's right. But weirdly in Hawaii, some of those unions are actually some of those people actually belong to the Longshore Union because of a very complicated union history. Anyway, oh. but it's a oh. really cool. I, that's what I want to go there to look at someday. Oh, yeah, you should come. I love it here. I mean, it's also a very interesting story. Uh, housing wise, like it's an interesting yeah. place Now they have homelessness here. But it's if you like, I kind of wish that people who would say we should get rid of all zoning requirements and you should be able to build whatever you want mm-hmm. and as high as you want. Um, a lot of Honolulu kind of looks like that, you know, like my Density. sister, for example. Li- yeah, she lives in like a house. Right. Um, and all around her are giant 15 story buildings. Right. And mm. then there's other little houses and then there's two story apartment buildings. And then there's like giant mm. towers next to it. And uh, it is extremely chaotic. I would not say it is pretty. Yeah. You know, 
But it is a lot of housing, you know, yeah. and it's better than having a bunch of single family homes everywhere with like For gigantic sure. roads going towards them. Interesting. Um, oh, I want to see it. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like the urbanists on Twitter and everything go a little bit far where they say, this is beautiful. I'm like, it's not really <laughs> Beautiful. You know, it goes so for that far. Browns of Brooklyn is really beautiful, you know. Now should they like uh make it so that every building on there is historically protected so that you oh can't God. like change any of them and you can't build over for it? No, you know? But the effect of it while walking through is pretty beautiful. You know, you have to admit it. You know, now is it is it good? No, it's fucking evil. It's bad. It shouldn't exist that way. But you know, it looks nice. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm now picturing myself walking through Honolulu being like, oh my God, what the hell? It's like a yeah. <laughs> skyscraper next to a home. It's like that. On You've that never movie been? App. Uh-uh. Someday. Yeah, you should come. Now that you're a surfer, you should definitely come. My shoulder is still <laughs> messed up, so I couldn't actually, I tried surfing twice and I was just, I just gave up because uh, I can't actually it's paddle so... right now. Oh yeah, yeah. And you're not yeah. going to play tennis while you're there? No, I am, but. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I've mostly just been sitting in a pool or on the in the water in the beach. It's been nice. It's like oh uh, I have a very strong believer in the therapeutic value of salt water, ocean, uh, swimming in the ocean. You know, I don't believe in therapy really. I don't believe in any of this. Like, I don't yeah. really believe in psychiatry, but I do believe in <laughs> that the ocean water is restorative to one's spirit and soul. I really love right? swimming. Yeah. <laughs> So I've been just basically uh, sitting neck deep in the water, you know, and just wow. like, yeah, for like hours, you know, and I do feel so a lot better. Jealous. You know, I feel much, much better. Um, the water is like a perfect temperature. Everything they say is true. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's good. Um, Thank you for, right. back for the content. <laughs> I know. I oh I find God. myself, you know, like every time gotta, he tweets, I, I like, like I like draft up a quote tweet and then I just delete it because I'm like, this guy is going to know how obsessed I am with him. That's <laughs> 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 somebody he's just going to be like, why is this New Yorker staff writer responding to every single tweet? That I, I, I like his I like, I like his like I like his reply. I like his reply guy. Reply guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wants. I know. I think it's because there's some of, you know, we both did debate. We're both a bit debate brained. And, um, you know, I'm starting to think debate is bad for the universe. There's too many (laughs) terrible people who have been produced by the system. I think it's kind of like, I don't know. I think it's it's really good for people, for young people to build confidence and to think about things, you know, but the worst versions of it lead to just ideological poverty and like and a type of way of thinking about the world that is truly frightening and more disgusting than like growing up with a set of values that you can unlearn um totally that maybe it's not even entirely your fault that you feel that way right like um and that you just haven't reflected on them very much they're just traditionally installed in you debate brain is basically nothing matters except me winning this argument right and it is a narcissism that can lead to any argument being in bounds whereas like the other person will stop being like maybe we shouldn't bomb a bunch of people you know and the debate brain person's like well i don't know according you know like this is the logical way and also the libs are stupid about this so let's right. just go fucking kill a bunch of, you know like that type of thing happening i mean it's like the birth of neoconservatism in some ways is a bunch of debate brain people 
basically playing around with a bunch of ideas and not really giving a shit if they're right or wrong, just yeah. or wrong, just sort of figuring out if they logically made sense, right? It's like and, debate you know, brain conserv- augmented by Chua, augmented by Peter Thiel is what we're really concerned with here. Yeah, yeah, that's who he is. That is the recipe <laughs> for this horrible yeah. amoral and monsterism. He's falling at 4%. <laughs> so, you know, you, oh you make what you will of it. I'm going to pay like, attention uh, to the polls that are like, he's at 0.5%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's so many polls <laughs> like wyoming or something actually yeah, wyoming exactly. he might be doing pretty well um in wyoming but you know i imagine that in a state like alabama or mississippi he's probably doing fucking horrible you know he does well in like place like new hampshire or whatever where there is much more like a type of like ideological libertarianism right um in it but in just sure. sort of deeply regular conservative states, like he's no, he's he's he. You should look at those polls first <laughs> because he's doing bad. But yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. Debate's bad, um, in aggregate. I think like for most people, it's good, but the bad it does is so bad that maybe right. in aggregate, it's exactly. Bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to our show. You can support us for, for five dollars a month at goodbye.substack.com or at patreon.com slash ttsgpod. Um, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or just reach out to us on Twitter at TTSG pod. We have not signed up for threads, have we? The Instagram, what? Twitter thing. Oh, I don't even know Do what you... that is. Oh my Whoops. God. <laughs> Whoa. You literally don't know what I this is. I am extremely offline right now. Oh my God. Okay. I might get rid of my Twitter account then. That's shocking to me. You don't know that Instagram know put out a Twitter is. alternate? Oh, wow. Did you try it? Yeah, it's stupid. But I mean, I'm more interested that you don't know that it exists because it seems to prove that like maybe you can get offline. You know, all you have to do is get rid of your Twitter account. Hmm. Did you you try Blue Sky? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, I did. But I did just write an article. I didn't actually try it. All these things is just, it's just stupid. I mean, the problem is that you're wasting your time on a social media app, right? It's not like the structure of social media. All right, well, we'll see you next week. One day you'll hear